Thanks, and welcome to this episode of the Book Halter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. My name is Dylan Weisman. I'm the co-chair of the Book Halter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Practice Group. I'm here today with Pete Mack in San Francisco and with Jackie Vu in Sacramento. So please introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, this is Pete Mack. I'm I'm a hub counsel in the Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility uh, group up here in our San Francisco office. Hi, everybody. I am Jackie Vu. I am an attorney. I'm located in Buckhalter's Sacramento office. I am um, a member of the Employee Mobility and Trade Secret um, group practice with Dylan and Pete. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, today, we have a very interesting topic. We're talking about uh, a particular California jury instruction. It's uh, California refers to our jury instructions as Casey instructions. This is Casey number 4420. This deals with uh, the trade secrets and it cr- creates supposedly an affirmative defense uh, that if information was readily ascertainable by proper means that somehow uh, that acts to excuse all wrongdoing and liability according to the Judicial Council, which uh, enacted these uh, instructions back in 2007. Now, for a long time, since 2009, I've been involved in numerous challenges, even with my prior law firm, uh, to KC4420, because our position is it's a completely inaccurate statement of the law. And why is this important? Because under this jury instruction, you can have uh, a plaintiff that heads its way all all the way to trial and comes to learn that even though a former employee stole, broke into its offices, stole, copied, downloaded its files, and went to a competitor and used the information, that there would be no actionable wrongdoing. They'd get a get-out-of-jail-free card if they can show that the information was readily ascertainable by proper means. And what has this done to this to put it on cases at trial, because you know we try these cases, it creates a crazy situation where you've got all these experts that come in and try to argue that under California's version of the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, that even though they engaged in wrongdoing, even though some of this could be arguably even criminal, that there's, uh, there's no claim there because the information was readily ascertainable by a bunch, according to a bunch of experts who did lots of Google searches or went through other, other various sources to try to, to find it. So with that, uh, we at the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employment Mobility Practice Group, Pete and I have been involved in now. This is like our fourth amended uh, challenge to the jury instruction. And this is really important now because the Judicial Council that uh, makes up these jury instructions uh, will convene again in April. And so we're putting this out in March with hopes to apply a sufficient amount of pressure on them to, to either withdraw this jury instruction or to change it considerably because it absolutely does not reflect the law in California. It's detrimental to our economy. Uh, and if you're on the plan for defense side, uh, this particular jury instruction just creates a whole problem at trial that doesn't need to exist and creates all sorts of basis for uh, jury verdicts being overturned on appeal that we don't want. On the plaintiff or defense side, we want certainty. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to, to uh, Pete to explain to us the, the case law that leads into this very recent development that Jackie Boo's going to get to at the end of our presentation here to talk about this brand new case that just came out on this. 
But Pete, if you could kind of walk us through uh, KC4420 and, and, and what, the, what the federal cases have said about it so far. Okay, 4420 says that defendant did not misappropriate plaintiff's trade secret if defendant proves that the information was readily ascertainable by proper means at the time of the alleged user disclosure. That's, and it's, so that sets up an affirmative defense and it's an affirmative defense based on misappropriation. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it goes to the definition of the trade secret itself. What is a trade secret? Um, we think that's wrong because when you look at how the California statute was adopted, um, California statute defines a trade secret as uh, <clears throat> a formula, pattern, compilation, program, device, method, technique, or process that derives independent economic value, actual or potential, from not being generally known to the public or to other persons who can obtain economic value from its disclosure or use. That's what a trade secret is. That and the fact that reasonable measures have been taken to keep it a secret. At the time, the National Uniform Trade Secret Act contained in its definition of a trade secret uh, a requirement that the, that the information not be readily ascertainable through proper means in order to qualify as being a trade secret. California did not adopt that on purpose. If you look back at the legislative history, they were very clear about that. They decided not to include that in the California law. This is a really important point because the federal version of the trade secret statute includes the language about the information not being readily ascertainable by proper means within the definition. California, because credit to our legislature, I think had the foresight to realize that the internet was on the horizon and that it would create this uh, muddy confusion over whether or not the information was readily ascertainable by proper means if we include that in the definition of, of a trade secret itself, so they struck it. That's a really important part, and we have all the legislative history to establish that. Right. It's kind of interesting because the Ninth Circuit, which covers federal courts in California, has long agreed with us that this is not an affirmative defense based on the definition of a trade secret. Uh, a case called IMAX Corp v. Cinema Technologies from 1998. The Ninth Circuit said, whether information is readily ascertainable is not a part of the definition of a trade secret in California. And there are a couple of California cases that go along with this, out of rubber from 1991 in particular, says that since it is not a part of the definition of what is a trade secret, the readily ascertainable defense must be based on the absence of misappropriation rather than the absence of a trade secret. Therefore, you have to say, the defense comes if you can prove, if you, the defendant, can prove that you did in fact get the information from a readily ascertainable source, then you have a defense. Right. It is, and it's a defense to whether you misappropriated it, not a defense to whether it exists as a trade secret. And it's certainly not an affirmative defense. I mean, it, it's an argument to be made. It's a defense in the sense that it's a traverse. It's a traverse. It's a traverse. It shows that you can put on evidence to defeat the, the allegation that you committed a misappropriation under the act. Right. <clears throat> and so the Ninth Circuit has long held that view, along with a couple of California cases, which the uh, which the uh, Judicial Council doesn't seem to think are important. But they decide one in London. 
footnote somewhere in the in, in 4420. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but the federal courts of call have, have long thought that this was the correct rule. Uh, and in the first recent case on this, there's been about three or four recent cases starting in 2021. First one is Massimo Corporation v. True Wearables coming out of the Central District of California in April of 21. Uh, this was, these, these Massimo cases are really interesting. They're all about technology for non-invasive detection of, of blood chemistry. Uh, you, wear a, you wear a sensor on your arm, it can tell you if what your blood sugar is doing or what your blood uh, oxygen is doing, which for example is a great way to uh, check for diabetes without having to do pinpricks. So it's, it's, it's a big product, there's a lot, of, a lot of dough involved. Anyway, Massimo, uh, the 2021 case was a plaintiff's application for a preliminary injunction against true wearables. They thought that they had stolen their trade secret for uh, the non-invasive blood chemistry detection. Uh, and the court went through a detailed description of the California uh, law, the, the legislative history and ruled that uh, ready ascertainability is only a defense insofar as the defendant actually gained knowledge of the trade secret by use of those materials which made the trade secret readily ascertainable, granted the injunction. <clears throat> In January of 2022, the Federal Circuit affirmed Massimo and approved the Ninth Circuit's interpretation that um, the defense is only available if defendant can establish that the trade secret was obtained from readily ascertainable sources. And True Wearables argued on appeal in that case that the Ninth Circuit misstated the rule citing to KC 4420. Uh, the Federal Circuit wasn't buying. The Federal Circuit disagreed and said in the absence of controlling California authority to the contrary, it's appropriate for us to follow the Ninth Circuit, and they did. Which is important because they, the, the, the Federal Circuit called out the pattern jury instruction, this exact instruction that we're talking about today, and said it was incorrectly decided and in the absence of controlling California authority. Uh, we're applying the Ninth Circuit because we think the Ninth Circuit got it right, and so do we. The Bell Culture Trade Secrets and Employability Practice and that gets us to the most recent case that Jackie's going to tell us about, which just came out in February of this year. Yes, thank you. So uh, in February of February 10, 2023, the case Massimo Corp versus Apple Inc. came down in the Central District. And that was that case was brought before Judge Selna. Um, and that case involved plaintiff's motion to exclude expert testimony offered by Apple. And the issue on that motion was whether or not the, the trade secrets were readily ascertainable. And in opposing that motion, Apple relied on two, two cases as authority um, under KC4420, in which the court disagreed. And so one of the cases that they relied upon, Apple did, was American Paper and Packaging Products, Inc. versus Kurgan. So that case involved um, a customer list being taken. The former employee uh, took the customer list and went to another company. And the court in that case, American Paper, ruled that a customer list could be, although it was not readily or publicly known to the public, 
the customer list could have been certainly known or ascertainable by proper means in the shipping business, which was the business that we were dealing with in that case. However, the Massimo court in this most recent Apple case uh, rejected the American paper case, noting that most many recent California courts and courts in this district had recently rejected the American paper case because it relied upon the wrong standard. So rejected Apple's um, case for American paper. And, and also, I think it's worthwhile pointing out, Jackie, that um, Judge Selna was the judge in all of these Massimo cases. So we now have this very developed body of law by a judge who has now uh, ruled once, been taken up on appeal, it was affirmed, and now ruled again that um, on this issue under 4420, and that American Paper and Packaging versus Kurgan has been strongly criticized throughout California cases as being inconsistent with our legislative history and was the facts of it all came about before the enactment of the California Uniform Trade Secrets Act. So Judge Sullivan does a very masterful job of uh, basically minimizing Apple's uh, reliance upon American paper packaging as controlling authority. Great point, Dylan. Thank you. Um, so next, Apple relies on the San Jose Construction Inc. versus SBCC case. Um, in that case, Apple, well, that case involved a construction company taking, um, you know, the former employee took a binder, I think, of um, potential bids and pricing lists and all this stuff and went to his new employer. And so in that case, Apple argued that the, the San Jose Construction Court held that that a readily ascertainable defense may be available even where the defendant did not actually rely on public materials or reverse engineer the reported trade secrets. And so the Massimo Court in our case hey, said, hey, wait, hold on. That's actually not the ruling here. The ruling in San Jose Construction found a triable issue as to whether the entire proposal for each project was indeed readily ascertainable. That is, whether defendant could have replicated each offer within the short period it claimed to have needed. Um, the court in Massimo noted that nowhere in the San Jose, San Jose case was there an affirmative defense. So that case had nothing to do with whether or not there was a defense whether or not there was a readily ascertainable defense. It actually just focused, you know, on the MS motion for summary judgment ruling and found that there was a tribal issue. But it had, yeah, Apple's interpretation of the San Jose construction case was too broad and that was not what the court ruled in that, in that case. So the Massimo court rejected, um, you know, the San Jose case as something that Apple should be relying upon. Right, and the importance of that is, is that we get back to the federal standard that, um, the Massimo versus Apple uh, applied, which is the Ninth Circuit standard saying that California has not come out on this. And that merely because the case may use the words readily or ascertainable certainly doesn't create any kind of affirmative defense. Right. But that's exactly what the Judicial Council has done in its reliance upon um, both of these cases, San Jose Construction and American Paper Packaging, as authority for uh, KC 4420, and now Judge Selna has exposed that for the fact that it, it has no merit. So, um, Jackie, continue on if you would. Of course. So, the, the Massimo Court rejected Apple's attempt to bring in the San Jose construction case and re rejected the, uh, Apple's attempt to bring in the American paper case. And instead, the court affirmed its ruling in the true, in the true wearables case and said that the standard should be 
that the readily ascertainable defense is only available if the defendant can show that it obtained and actually used the trade secrets from the sources that from the sources. And so because Apple's expert did not claim that Apple obtained plaintiff's trade secrets from a readily ascertainable source, the court granted the plaintiff's motion to exclude their text expert testimony in that case. Yeah, it's a very sound ruling because uh, in the absence of evidence that the information was actually derived from publicly available sources, there should be no so-called affirmative defense in California. Uh, And I think that once that uh, there's sufficient pressure that's put on the Judicial Council, hopefully we see a situation where after years, I mean, literally, I've been fighting this fight since 2008. Uh, to try to get the Judicial Council to overturn this instruction. We're now poised to do so with these th- uh, three very recent cases that we've cited and the, and that we keep sending over to the Judicial Council to have them review this. They should either remove the instruction in its entirety because it's an inaccurate statement of the law or modify it so it's consistent with what Judge Selnak uh, has said, which is it's not an affirmative defense. You can't engage in wrongdoing and then say that I, I have these experts, I can put on facts to show I could have, although I didn't. Um, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so credit to Judge Selna for shutting down that uh, that exercise. And I would strongly encourage at this point that the Judicial Council also should confer with Judge Selna because he's certainly the, the resident expert in the California judiciary on this topic. So. Pete, well, see, yeah, just one other point. It's kind of a minor point, but <clears throat> you can bet that, I mean, Judge Stone explicitly head-on took on two of the main cases that the Judicial Council relied upon. And you can bet that Apple's lawyers are good lawyers and that they combed through the KC4420 and looked at every single case that was cited and picked the two strongest cases. Right. And, and now- Judge Selma wasn't buying on either one of them. Those are tatters to support KC 4420. <laughs> so, and one other thing, if, uh, one of the key things that, that the federal court said in, in the federal circuit said was that in the absence of controlling California authorities to the contrary, we're gonna follow the Ninth Circuit. Right. And we'd, be, we'd love to see some more good California decisions on this. So if any of you out there are trying this case. Great, excellent. Uh, Good point. We'd yeah. like to hear from you. Uh, we've got the we've got the legislative history. We we've got all the materials. If if that yep. will be helpful. Uh, and like I say, controlling California authority, we think there is. We think that the Harbor Rubber case controls. Uh, but in any case, having more having more good California decisions on this would certainly help. Yeah, and I and again to underscore what he had to say. We are more concerned about having an accurate jury instruction than this jury instruction. And if you are trying these cases like we are, and you find yourself in front of a jury, and all of a sudden the rules change because what the California legislature legislature rejected is now somehow an affirmative defense, call us, let me know. We'll send you all of our materials. Um, glad to help you out on this issue. Anything we can do to, to right this situation by all means. Uh, we'll come to your help. So, and as and as Dylan said, it doesn't matter if you whatever side you're on. Right. If you're on the plaintiff side. You're on the defense side. You need to know what the rules are. You need some certainty on this. So, uh, 
I mean, on, on one level, it's certainly helpful for plaintiffs to get rid of this affirmative defense, but it's also helpful if you're trying to defend side of these cases to, to have some certainty as to what the law is. Right, because you don't want to go all the way through this only to find out that you're wrong entirely on the law, as is KC 4420, and have your your decision overturned. So, or get whacked like Apple did and have your experts thrown out. Right, exactly. On the eve of trial. Right. You know? Right. So, uh, with that, this has been our most recent episode on KC 4420 from the Buckhalter Trade Secrets Employee Mobility Practice Group. Pete, thanks so much. Jackie, thank you again. And we'll be seeing you folks soon. Our next episode coming up soon is about the Federal Trade uh, Commission's decision to. Uh, adopt effectively the California rule, which invalidates uh, numerous forms of come to compete. Thanks so much for joining us.